0: Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast, where it is our final non-game week Tuesday for a while, which is awesome to say. And if you've made it this far with us through the never-ending offseason, we have a hearty thank you to give you. If you're just jumping back on board because it's time to play football, well, welcome back. Uh, It's been quite a ride, but we're ready to talk Penn State football as always. I'm going to get into the conversation on the defensive front today where there's a new coach and there's a lot of expectations for players to rise up. Our position series, the state of the position series, focuses on those defensive tackles, defensive ends. We'll talk about that in a moment. Earlier today on Tuesday, 24-7 Sports uh, produced their updated uh, team talent composite rankings for the 2020 season, something that has been done on an annual basis here at 24-7 Sports dating back to 2015. We'll talk about where Penn State stands in the Big Ten and the grand scheme of things. Um, and, and how some of those trends are evolving across the conference. Uh, but, Sean, as I said, we're going to get going with the defensive line. Uh, there are some notable losses from the uh, 2019 team, but I think when you look across the board, there's a lot of names that you think could rise up in a big way, and they're all under the leadership of John Scott, and you just put a story up on lines 24-7 before we started recording. Uh, new coach in town. He was the last addition of this coaching staff way back in mid-February. And we talked about what that meant for him on the recruiting trail. We'll get a chance to see soon what he was able to accomplish on the field with the crew that's already on campus.
2: Well, everything that's been written about John Scott, talked about John Scott, has been recruiting so far because that's really all he's been able to do. Had that layoff. You know, he was hired on I believe February eighth, gave it a month, maybe a five weeks before the, the team was forced to quarantine nobody on campus. So you've not only got to build relationships on Zoom uh, for recruiting, you've also have to do it with your own players. And I thought that was a pretty interesting thing when I talked to some of the defensive linemen at Media Day last week. It, it, you know, it wasn't a, a struggle or anything to get to know these people, but these guys were recruited by Sean Spencer all the way back, some of them sophomores in high school, freshmen in high school. So Sean Spencer had been an ever-present, uh, you know, uh, pr- I guess, a presence in their life since then. And that's a lot to overcome because you have that loyalty. You have that, you know, you have that certain way of feeling about somebody and then, you know, somebody replaces them. And albeit, this is a different scenario where Spencer left on his own accord, you know, got a, got a job in the NFL. Can't blame him for that. But still, you know, you feel a little defensive when that new guy comes in. And it seems like talking to Shaka Tony, Antonio Shelton, Fred Hansen, some of those older guys in the room, you know, they, they took it pretty well, and it, it there's going to be some time where it would take some buy-in, and that's, again, tough to do virtually, but it seems as though John Scott Jr. has come along and done some some things. We talk about the technic- technical aspect of adding a Taylor Stubblefield or, or potentially even a Phil Troutwine. I think John Scott's probably in that same mix, and um, these guys all talked about the, the little things, and Spencer, great motivator, great coach, uh, you know, very big on details and, you know, chaos and everything like that but i think john scott can also sort of tweak some things and get those guys where they need to be technically and maybe that's something where we saw some of those lapses in the defensive line last year and over the last couple of years i think that maybe it's something that that could you know just sort of work out as on the unit as a whole
0: john scott junior some significant background with brent Pryde, defensive coordinator for penn state he actually shared a photo late last week of of him uh, taking a photo with, with a, as a player, and Scott's the coach, and and then they ended up uh, reconnecting as a, as coach and assistant, and and now here they are at Penn State, both making a lot more money, and 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 both in a position to really build their career resumes further here in 2020. And by the way, before we get into the personnel, Dion Barnes. I mean, how much have we heard about him, Sean? Uh, very quickly, uh, since getting back to campus, a former Penn State player uh, re- returns after some time at that Northeast High School in Philadelphia his alma mater was the defensive coordinator, very successful one at that. Now he's a grad assistant for the Nittany Lions. And whether it's recruiting or whether we're talking to some of these defensive linemen, his impact has been evident.
2: Oh, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I think most of the impact that he's going to feel, especially being a younger guy, being a guy that can be able to uh, interact with these guys virtually, and it's not alien to them. I mean, let's be honest, the younger coaches are the coaches that have thrived during the shutdown. The ones that have adapted to the te- technology have fared the best. And I think it's it's easy to talk to Dion. Dion's what, 25, 26 years old? 27 um, years old. 27? Man, I'm getting yep. old. Damn. <laughs> um, but uh, Dion is is closer to their age than, you know, John Scott's a, a little bit up, up there in comparison. So it's easier to talk to him. It's easier to get, uh, you know, that sort of perspective. And, you know, Dion Barnes comes from Philadelphia, came from a situation where, you know, not a lot of those guys that, that he he was playing with were able to get out and go play college football. And and guys at IMATEP, guys uh, all over Philly can sort of relate to his story now. So I think that's something that he's been able to do is sort of build his own brand as a recruiter just by being younger, just by being, you know, more Hip with it, in tune, whatever you want to call it, as thirty-six-year-old white guy does, I, as I do. Um, yeah, he's he's definitely uh, you know turned that on. And then when you roll that over to um, the guys in that room, uh, you talk about Antonio Shelton. Antonio Shelton's twenty-three. I mean, that's uh, that's not a big gap there. But they've seen what Dion can do. These guys were middle school, maybe even into high school when Dion was coming through, had some very good years at at Penn State and then, of course, went on for a short pro career. So I think anything that he says and anything that he's picked up along the way, um, you know, has has really just been something that you can, you know, you can lean on as more of a peer than as a coach. And I think that's certainly going to help him both as we've seen on the recruiting trail and both uh, as a coach.
0: And how about Shakatoni, a Phil- fellow Philadelphia native? Uh, he is also uh, 22 going on, 23 years old. have to imagine he was familiar with Dion Barnes uh, in some way, shape, or form. And to have that guy now connecting with you and Shaka Tony, uh, not the overzealous vocal leader necessarily, but the guy that you 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 know go man-to-man in that defensive line room, whether you're talking to a tackler or defensive end, he's that veteran presence in the group. Sh- Sean Spencer talked about the strides he made as a leader in the past returning now as a fifth-year senior um, after weighing his draft options following the Cotton Bowl. Uh, a, a big return. And, and let's get into that returning group. First, addressing the losses at defensive end, Daniel Joseph moved on with his career, went to NC State, has had some success in the field early there in the ACC thus far. Yitor Grossmanos, of course, uh, all Big Ten performer the last couple of years, uh, made his mark of 20 tackles for loss as a sophomore. That's rare territory for defensive linemen, uh, top, 10 to top 10 to top 12 in tackles for loss and sack. So um, didn't, it didn't take him long to make an impact. And, and it has been kind of the same with the Carolina Panthers, although he's been injured. He's injured once again, I uh, will see where it goes for him, but, those are the two losses to get to. Returners, we talk about Shaka Tony. Uh, he's back as a starter. And then opposite of him, the three names to know. And we're going to get into the young riser and, and Smith-Vilbert in a moment. But guys who have really you know, played extensive action in the Big Ten, including uh, last year as a freshman with Adiza Isaac. You got Isaac, Jason Oway, of course, and then Shane Simmons, uh, one of the few remaining guys from that 2016 recruiting class. Penn State fans have known about this guy for a very long time. He committed to Penn State halfway through high school. I think he was one of the early major splashes for James Franklin on the recruiting trail, a five-star prospect, and suddenly in his fifth year, and uh, while he is respected in this locker room, a guy that we like to deal with in the media, you look at the, the resume at the college football level in games, it's just not where we all thought it might be in year number five of this college career.
2: And and Simmons has an injury history, and that's really unfortunate for him because you think about you know just how much of a foot injury takes out, what, a chunk of 18 months? Months of your career—that's a lot for a uh, for especially for a pass rusher. So it's been unfortunate to this this point. But you're right; he hasn't really lived up to that billing. Um, You know, always has. I say struggled added weight, but if you look at him, he's obviously still a physical specimen. Um, You'd like to see him, you know, be a little bit more functional. And and we thought we were seeing that a couple of years ago, especially in the Fiesta Bowl, played fairly well. Um, But you know, it's never really come through. And you saw Yitor Gross Matos, who came in a, a class after him, sort of lap him pass him and then leave a year early and that's uh that's been interesting to to sort of watch so you know I, I really hope Shane breaks out I mean I, I don't know what a breakout year from Shane uh, Simmons would look like in terms of what those numbers would be but you know to, to be reliable to be a guy that you can turn to and, and make a couple splash plays here and there I think would be great uh, Shane certainly deserves it uh, I think all the attention right now and and, and let me preface this entire section with, I'm not sure how John Scott's going to go about his rotations. We saw with Sean Spencer, you know, he was a four in four out. A lot of times they did some special sub packages and things like that, but you know, there, there was a lot of, uh, get these guys in the field and then just a mass substitution and get, you know, switch. It's sort of like a, a hockey line change. I don't know that that's going to be John Scott's, uh, you know, approach. I think a lot of that will have to do with what Brent Pry thinks, but you know, they've got, they've got five guys here that I think can play at this level, uh, right now. Um, you mentioned Smith Vilbert a little bit earlier, and we'll get to him as, as sort of a late riser, but I think he can factor in and make a push for the two deep here. But the three guys you're going to hear about, of course, Tony, Owe, and Adisa Isaac. I'm very high on what Adisa Isaac can bring to the table. I think he's a guy that, uh, you know, I was asked in my chat last week uh, where he compared to Jason Owe a year ago. It's just a better football player. I mean, he came in a better football player, he, uh, it was one of those ones where building up uh, Adisa Isaac was taking him from 215, 220 pounds from when he got here to 250 pounds or whatever right now the game was always sort of there. It was kind of like Yitor Gross Matos, where building up Jason Owe as a project was taking a guy that was a physical specimen, uh, athletic, you know, really wouldn't have trouble adding weight and things like that and making him into a more well-rounded football player. So not really too many parallels when you put Owe and, and Adisa Isaac beside each other, but both you know, have really, really high potential for separate reasons. So I'm excited to see what those guys can do. Shaka, when you put on the tape last year, and I know his numbers, I guess you could, you know, uh, I guess he buys in bulk, you know, he's had the big games against Indiana and Purdue and things like that. But when you put on the tape last year, I was surprised how, uh, vital he was to the entire defense when this defense was clicking. I mean, he was kind of all over the place. Even if he wasn't finishing, he was, he was right there, you know, turning plays back around, stringing plays out and doing some little things that maybe you don't, uh, doesn't register on the stat sheet, but I thought he had a pretty good year last year. So I'm excited to see what kind of strides he made. I don't know that he was quite ready to make that leap to the NFL, but I'm a big Shaka Tony fan and I'm, I'm a big fan of all three of these guys. Uh, by the way,
0: Indiana, who Shaka Tony went off against two years ago in Bloomington four fourth fourth quarter sacks, and, and it seemed like they needed every single one of those sacks to escape with the win that day. Um, he is heading back there. It's going to be Saturday after all. I probably should have mentioned this at the top of the show. Forget the Friday night possibility. I'm sure most of our listeners are aware of this, but 3.30 kickoff in Indiana on Saturday Set it in stone. We'll work from there for the remainder of these games. Uh, there's been some reports of other kickoff times, but uh, there we go. And as of now, it looks like Penn State avoiding that Friday night matchup, which is good news for, for James Franklin based on everything we've heard. But going back to Tony last year, Sean, six and a half sacks. That was a career best. He's now played in 38 career college games, has 15 and a half sacks, 22 tackles for loss. Um, you know, he certainly seemed like a guy who was weighing a decision after that Cotton Bowl talked about the ability to, to get a degree and, and and how sparse that opportunity was for, for people that he associated with back home and, and what that meant to him. So to cross that off his list and now have a chance to, to build up his draft stock, great opportunity. Um, I, I think with, with Tony, you've, you've covered him since the beginning. I've only covered him since he really made his way into the rotation as a, I guess it would have been a redshirt freshman, but You talk about a guy who has really just developed um, and and bought in and, and, and gone about his business I mean, what a transformation, really. A guy who was incredibly productive uh, in, Phila- in Philadelphia, a guy who really uh, exploded off the edge. But to get where he is now and being counted on as an every-down defensive end in the Big Ten for a second consecutive year, you know, this is a great example of player personnel development, in my opinion.
2: And he's a great example of, of leadership in that room, which is certainly something that they're going to need. Um, you know, they, they lost some guys from last year, but I, I don't think the leadership will be all that all that different. Now, you do lose Sean Spencer, great motivator kevin smith was with them for a couple of years he's now an assistant at old dominion so you change that sort of uh, uh alignment among at the top in that room but you still got shaka tony you still got antonio shelton when you move it to the inside those two guys i think will pay dividends for the younger guys in the room and the guys you know as they learn to work as they learn to take things in I always think back to, I was talking to teammates before last season and, you know, we don't get the players anymore face-to-face. We get them zoomed, but you could see something when you asked about Shaka Tony, there was a lot that went on to it, you know, aside from the, the surface quotes that we always get. I mean, there was a lot of uh, teaching, a lot of mentoring that went on there. And then, of course, he's elevating his own game. I always thought Shaka has gotten, you know, uh, less than a fair shake because he's got that that pass rusher, um, you know, just that strictly pass rushing uh, reputation. And I think he's a much better player than that. So I think he's going to go a long way in, in helping those guys out around him. I think he'll sort of be a liaison to the coaching staff and, you know, sort of at the same time, turn around and get those younger players and those those guys that are still uh, sort of uh, incubating and getting where they need to be uh, just into the spots that they need to be. Something that Spencer always pointed to before he got into
0: anything else about Tony was just uh, his innate ability to, to digest whether watching on the watching on the field or go, watching on his iPad, just to digest the defensive scheme and be able to implement it in real time. Something that a lot of players uh, of higher recruiting caliber than Shaka Tony struggle with in college. And ultimately that prevents them from, from reaching their potential at the college level Reaching potential is what it's always been about with Jason Oway, Sean. It, you know, you know he's a personal guy, a personal favorite of mine that, that I've enjoyed covering him uh, over these years. And and you said, uh, you know, the comparison to him and Isaac, I think he hit it on the head. He left high school and and you know, give credit to, to Blair Academy and the work that their staff did with Jason. And you know, yeah, but he was a fo- he was an athlete playing football and wearing shoulder pads, and uh, there was not much fundamentally sound or, or ready to take on uh, a Big Ten opponent as a freshman. He still went out there. He had a couple sacks in that first appearance we saw in out of conference, but I, I think people kind of are underselling what Jason Oway did last year a little bit. I mean, he did get 320 plus snaps. That's still probably less than half of what you saw the starters get last year. Um, but he was third on the team with those snaps. He was third on the team in sacks. Um, just one more time because it, it, it is fun to read these off. Uh, we're talking about a guy who had six foot five, two hundred and fifty three. Pounds uh, reporting a 4 40-yard dash, a four one one shuttle, a 10-7 broad jump, and a 36 and half inch vertical leap. A couple weeks ago, Chris Hummer, national analyst with 24-7 Sports, uh, went all over all that and said if he can match that to a productive and more well-rounded performance on the football field this year over the course of eight, nine, Big Ten games, and whatever uh, comes afterward, you're talking about a guy who has much of a ceiling on the 2021 uh, NFL draft board, as any defensive prospect on the board, and, and Chris, Chris watches a lot of football players, follow a lot of careers. That stood out to me. Um, you know, Jason. Uh, you know, man. I mean, it, it's it's fun to take that plunge and, and say he's going to do this. He's going to be uh, you know the the next big thing for Penn State. Uh, but but look, he, he, he'll be the first to admit he, he's got to get better in certain aspects. I think he's got to uh, build that repertoire as a pass rusher, the bull rush, um, be able to, to hold his own against in run defense. There's times where it looks like he's a little bit lost behind the play. He has the athleticism to maybe erase some of those mistakes. But considering the amount of volume we are expecting for him um, in, in game by game snaps, um, you know, he, he's got to be steady. He's got to be firm or you're going to have issues on the edge and you're going to be going up against players who can
2: exploit that. It's funny that you go to his pass rushing, you know, uh, acumen and the moves that he can put together because everybody looks at Owe and says he's got to play the run better, and he has improved in that. And I saw that last year on the tape, and it's still. Let, let me backtrack here for a second. He still has a ways to go in that in that manner. He's going to get better at playing the run, and if he does, he's going to make himself very rich playing defensive end. Uh, but no, you're right. He does have to become a little bit more varied in in, in his pass rush. Um, you know, you can't just beat everybody with speed. You know, he's got a ton of speed. He's got a ton of twitch and everything like that. But you've got to, you know, be a smarter pass rusher. And I think that that's something that's probably overlooked when we talk about the improvements that he has to make to his game, because, you know, playing the run absolutely is going to be something that he's got to, you know, he's got to. Not change up, but continue to improve upon. I think John Scott can help him in that aspect of it. But yes, becoming a more diverse pass rusher, I think, is really going to serve him well.
0: Jason arrived in in 18, Adiza Isaac in 19. And and then, uh, uh, you know, last year we we saw, uh, you know, I I got that wrong, didn't I? No. Jason arrived 18, Adiza Isaac 19, and now Smith Vilbert, who did arrive last year. I'm screwing myself up there, uh, but, but got that red shirt. Adiza Isaac did not. Um, he's kind of that next name. You're always looking for the next one. And we've seen those two players that we've discussed at length now emerge over the last couple of years. And, and despite my screwed up math there, uh, it feels like Smith-Vilbert in year two with the program may be that ascending figure at a, at a position where that you really do need an ascending figure right now.
2: See, I commend you because usually when I mess up like that, I just start <laughs> swearing and then shut off the take, and then we start, Let's over. start over. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you were able to keep your radio voice there. Um, but yeah, Smith Gilbert uh, is is a guy that you know I I don't know where he's at right now in terms of busting in and breaking in and playing with that top three, uh, physically looks fantastic. That's hasn't changed anything like that has to come along, uh, you know, sort of like a way refine his pass rush a little bit. I think he'll be okay playing the run eventually because this kid's going to be 270 pounds off the edge. I mean, he's uh he's a big dude. He's not an interior guy for them right now. And, and given what we look at and what we look at the, uh, the depth chart and the roster moving forward, can't afford to be an interior guy because there's not a ton of ends uh, in the lower reaches of this uh, of this eligibility chart. So I, I like what smith filbert brings to the table. He's a complete mystery right now, but they're very high in what he's been able to do. Um, he's I think he's going to push Shane Simmons for that spot. And I think he's going to be able to get in there and rotate in and and play some quality reps for Penn State. I'm I'm excited to see his progress. I don't know that he you know we're ready to lump him in the top four, or the top three, or whatever. But I like his potential uh, moving forward, and, and I think he can make an impact as a redshirt freshman.
0: Smith-Vilbert, his development, that feels like an X-factor for this position group. So does health, because as you just referenced, we'll get to defensive tackle in a second, and I just kept naming names and naming names and naming names when I was putting together that list. The list is not nearly as long a defensive end. You get past Smith-Vilbert, we're talking about Nick and the guy who's in his third year on campus, came in as a linebacker, a four-star linebacker prospect, uh, transitioned, and just has not been able to stay healthy. I don't think it's fair at this point to count on him to be able to go out there, play a lot of football over eight games until we see more from him. And then Bryce Mostella was the next name I wrote. And boy, if we're seeing Bryce Mostella playing you know, meaningful, extensive snaps in 2020, I don't think that bodes well for Penn State uh, unless this kid is ready to go out there and and use his go go gadget arms and 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 take over the field. I think he's a couple years away, uh, maybe at least a year but, uh, Bryce Mostella has a
2: lot of progression still left ahead of him. Well, I think that this, uh, eligibility clock, you know, you look at the guys on the lower end of that scholarship eligibility chart, Bryce Mostella is certainly one of those guys that can benefit from it the most. I talked about, uh, Smith Vilbert being a 270 pounder. I think Bryce Mastella is going to be in that same mold and it's probably going to be in a year, a year and a half before he's, uh, he's at that size, but you know, big, big twitchy guy, just, uh, you know, flexible guy that you can, you know, it's just a big lump of clay really. Um, You know, there's really no putting on that tape, that high school tape, and saying this guy's going to be a dominant defensive end at college. But then you see some of the things that they've seen since he got here, putting the weight on, you know, adding strength, getting flexible, just a lot of these big, uh, you know, the 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 bigger boxes that they like to check for athleticism, and then the game sort of comes along. I think he's more, you know, you kind of put him in that mold of, uh, you know, and it's unfair because these guys were so productive, and and Mostella really hasn't been, but that body type of Ito Gross Matos or Carl Nassib, one of those guys that just is the the length just sort of goes on forever. And, you know, it's, I don't think he's going to be a, a speed pass rusher off the edge or anything like that, but I think he can be a guy that certainly just, you know, continues to uh, be on that track and, and eventually be a productive guy. I know there were questions about him based on his tape and I totally get that after watching his tape a couple of times, um, but he definitely has a lot of the potential that you like to see in a, in a young defensive end
0: conversations with Mastella and you heard one here on the podcast earlier this year kind of took me back to those conversations with Jason away because the it's a kid who is very forthright in understanding that he has a lot to learn uh, mentally, physically about what it's going to take to succeed at this position. He did mention Ytor Gross Matos as, as kind of a blueprint laid out by Sean Spencer at the time uh, as a player that they thought he was equipped to maybe uh, rise up to it and, and become a, a, a little bit in that light. A long way to go for Bryce, and as I said, that's really where we're at in the defensive end position. And and by the way, you're taking on arguably the, the two most impressive offenses you're going to find on this schedule right off the jump with the trip to Indiana and then certainly at home against Ohio State. So it's not like you're finding time to get your footing. I think maybe of all the positions on the field, uh, I, I look at that depth, that defensive end, and you know, and, and you can really look across the front seven because of the turnover they've had at linebacker. We're gonna find out really quickly, I think, how prepared this defensive front seven is to take on the, you know, the athleticism, uh, the 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 capabilities of these quarterbacks they're gonna face early. And there's just not really at defensive end room to go digging deep to find solutions. So- well, that's.
2: That's this year, and that's in the future because you look there, and I see Shaka gone after this year. Shane Simmons uh, probably gone after this year, and of course, you you know you you don't know with the extended eligibility that those guys have, and then Jason Oway. I think there's a very real possibility that he's not here next year. So I mean, there's there's not much there in terms of depth. You've got Rodney McGraw committed. He's the only defensive lineman committed in this class. I mean, is it a situation where you can see Penn State maybe look at the transfer portal next year at defensive end? I think that's certainly possible. I don't think there's a, there's much out there in the junior college ranks, so you've got to find some sort of quick fix. I know we've talked about Zariah Fisher as an eventual defensive end, but is, would he be ready next year? you move another one of those linebackers down. I think that that's going to be a very, very interesting sort of subplot to this. And, you know, you've got guys that, you know, especially when you look inside and I don't want to get too far ahead, but Amin Vanover is is one of those guys because I Izzard, uh, Hakeem Beeman, guys that are sort of floating, have, have sort of floated in between tackle and guard, or excuse me, tackle and end. And let's be honest, they don't get smaller when they get here. So everything's sort of just sort of uh, gravitates to the interior here, so definitely some concern about defensive end moving forward. I, I, you love the talent, you love the uh, the first five that they they run out there right now, but in a year or two, it's it's going to look very different, and that's going to be very interesting.
0: Shifting over to the defensive tackle spot, there are a ton of names here, and, and as Sean just said, some guys who have kind of been uh, in betweeners uh, when it comes to where will they land when they got the campus on the perimeter inside. A little bit of both. Let's start with the losses at defensive tackle. Robert Windsor is gone following his senior year, uh, now on the practice squad with the Indianapolis Colts. Antonio Barber, a member of the 2017 recruiting class, a four-star recruit in that cycle, um, has gone off to, to Austin P, transferred out, uh, playing at a different level of college football now. But uh, plenty of guys who have significant experience. Antonio Shelton is your returning starter here. But, Sean, it feels like P.J. Mustafer fits into that category as well with all the snaps he played as a sophomore last year. you got Fred Hansard, Judge Culpepper. Both of them were able to, to get a lot of action last year. Particularly important to see Hansard out there um, as he was uh, dealing with injuries earlier in his career. He seems to have rebounded, become a, a nice member of that rotation. But to me, out of this whole cluster we talk about, you know, big to have Shelton back. He's a vocal leader out there. Uh, he's a guy who has a lot of fun on the field. But P.J. Mustapher was the top-rated recruit in this entire room for a reason. And I've been circling him in 2020 for a while as a guy that I think is, is going to make a major forward leap.
2: And before they come for you on Twitter, Damian Barber now at Austin P, not Antonio Barber. I believe he was a former Tennessee wide receiver commit for some reason. But anyway, uh, yeah, you're right about P.J. Mustapher. Um He was basically a third starter last year. I think he even started the one game that Antonio Shelton was suspended for spitting. Um, but he I, he actually played more reps than than Shelton did last year, so I don't think that's uh, you know much of a, a of a letdown in terms of like what you should expect from these starting defensive tackles. PJ Mustafer has played a lot of football. He's been a guy that you know y- you just sort of look at the the mold that he's in, and it's kind of different than Robert Windsor, kind of different than Antonio Shelton. I think the expectations should be fairly high for him this year. He's got that body, he's got the the wrestling background and things like that that they love. Um, but I think. He's going to be a, a productive player, and I think he's going to t- take a big step forward. I'm, I'm excited to see what PJ can do just from talking pe- to people in the building. They are, you know, sort of optimistic about what he brings to the table because no disrespect to Robert Windsor, but you knew kind of what you were getting. You knew kind of what your cap was with Robert Windsor. I think PJ Mustafa can be, you know, a, a more versatile defensive tackle for you as they, you know, sort of, uh, you know, look to. Um, I guess elevate the depth of that position because you have, or we have about five guys here, similar to defensive end. I think there's five guys here that you can look to uh, beyond, you know, there's beyond Shelton and Mustafer. Fred Hansard's played a lot of football. Judge Culpepper has come on in the last, I would say, 10 months, uh, you know, just before they went home for even spring break. We were hearing very good things about Judge Culpepper. And then Hakeem Beeman's the guy that just. Everybody keeps talking about the, the, you know, offensive lineman, defensive lineman, whoever you ask about that defensive line, Hakeem Beeman's a guy that, you know, you can sort of put up there and and you kind of have him on the same parallel with Smith-Vilbert if we're comparing D-line or DN to D-tackle. And I think Beeman's a little bit ahead of that. I think he could certainly push for that two deep slot right there. You've got uh, the two starters in Shelton and Mustafor. You've got Hansard and Culpepper behind him. And I think, you know, Beeman is a guy that, you know, I think could really have an impact even as a fifth defensive tackle. When you're
0: searching for those buzz guys along the defensive line, that conversation through preseason, as has often started with Jason Away, eventually leads to Adiza Isaac. But it doesn't take long to get to Akeem Beeman, as you referenced. It felt like when we had those player media days, whether you were talking to an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman about what's going on in the trenches so far through some of these early padded practices or really what they've seen over the course of 2020 on and off the field, Akeem Beeman gets brought up uh, you know, with a lot of positivity. And, and that's going to be really important. I think although we have not seen much of him a guy I'm very curious about Sean is Judge Culpepper Um, You know, played defensive end, tight end uh, down in high school in in, in Tampa, Florida. Got a couple dozen offers down there. We know his father accomplished a lot as a defensive lineman, not just with the Florida Gators, but eventually into the NFL. And his brother Rex, uh, you know, cancer survivor, great story, uh, now going to be the starting quarterback for for Syracuse. and uh, So a lot to like about the family lineage, but a lot to like about, uh, you know, Judge Culpepper's personality, where he has gone physically. I think he's right around 280 to 285 right now. it's been a process of, of, of kind of transitioning from the perimeter to the inside. We saw him surface and, and leapfrog Barber and, and, and get some significant time last year. Um, he's a guy that I'm kind of wondering, you know, if he comes through and, 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 and not getting the kind of buzz we're hearing with Beeman, but if he delivers on some of that. Um, that could go a long way for this defensive tackle room and as we'll get to a moment there's a ton of other names to know but it really feels like you know they're just a couple steps away here from really having a nice nice reliable
2: three deep. It's, it was curious to, when you gauge the buzz from these guys and I think last year coming out of the season it was about Beeman and maybe Smith-Vilbert but I think Judge Culpepper's kind of come into his own there in terms of what they expect from him um, talking about him being the backup. And, and we had talked about, based on the buzz that we heard from Beam and kind of, you know, penciling him into that fourth spot. Maybe he can work in there. By the way, you got a Kevin Givens comparison from a teammate this week. So that's uh, certainly high praise. But I mean, it was uh, it was. You just kept hearing these things about Culpepper, and as we mentioned during the quarantine, I think he, you know, he used those advantages that he's had um, in terms of training, in terms of the family that he comes from, to sort of maximize what he was able to do during that shutdown. And he came back ready to go. Um, He's added some weight. He's he's in the spot where I think you can lean on him for some more reps this year. And I think we're going to see a a decent amount of Judge Culpepper. And I'm excited to see what he can do because when you've got that size, that athleticism, and those bloodlines, usually something good happens. So excited to see what Culpepper can bring to the table. Um, you know, I, I feel pretty decent about this defensive tackle group, and I know it's been sort of hit and miss over the last couple of years. But I mean, you've got two guys that have played a lot of football in Shelton and Mustafer, and then you've got some exciting prospects behind them. And Hansard's played some, some football too. Um, but you've, you've just got a little bit of a, it, it's a very varied mix in terms of what these guys bring in terms of skill sets, but still they can work off of each other, and they can also work off those ends. I think the big thing for them, and this is more general, is to you know sort of hold up the pocket and let those ends, uh, you know, maybe. Sacrifice some of their pass rush for the defensive ends, and I think that's something they struggled with last year. Windsor would ultimately get up field, and you'd see even you know guys like Tanner Morgan, guys that didn't run at all last year, would you know scramble and get and get first down. So I think that that's something that will come with coaching. I think that's something when you look at the tape. I'm sure Brent Pry and John Scott have talked about that, and I think that that's a you know that's sort of a scheme, not not really a scheme change, because I think that's what you're aiming for anyway. But it's sort of a a scheme adjustment to get these guys to sort of maximize playing off of one another.
0: Another note about this group, Sean, and, and I don't think the average Penn State fan is maybe completely aware of this, more so those of us who wait to see who we're going to get for interviews – it's a group that has a ton of personality I love the culture at defensive tackle right now that they have they you know PJ musta to me as is, is, has been a team captain and waiting really since he committed to the 2018 recruiting class Antonio Shelton a, a vocal presence if there ever was one for this Penn State team Fred Hansard has a lot of fun out there but he's he's also bringing some accountability a guy who's worked his way back from a pretty serious injury and judge Culpepper I think folks as he gets uh you know gets his groove on the field you're gonna get to start to learn more about what he brings to the to the table from a person Personality standpoint. He was a lot of fun to speak with uh, earlier this summer. Don't know much about the younger guys, and there's a lot of them, but that stands out to me. Um, beyond Akeem Beeman, I mean, I'm just going to reel off some names here. You can cherry pick whatever you think stands out. Joseph Darkwa by way of Germany. Devon Ellis, another second year player. Aeneas Hawkins in his third year. Kaziah Izard, a lot of good reviews early so far as a true freshman. A uh, fellow true freshman for Torma Mulba, Cole Brevard, Amin Vanover. As I said before, defensive end, that list stops short, and it's kind of jolting how short the list stops. A lot of unknown factors there, and guys who are at different stages of their career in terms of how long they've been on campus and what might be next for them, Sean.
2: But it is a lengthy list at defensive tackle. Well, not just their career, but also their their development. I mean, you look at some of these guys. I mean, Fatuma Moba and Cole Brevard, I don't see, you know, playing at all this year, being redshirt guys. Vanover is probably in that mix as well. But Vanover, you know, could play a little bit of defensive end. I mean, he came in around 280 pounds, so that would be a surprise. But given the numbers being what they are. We will see what happens there because I really interesting to me because he's, you know, he's a guy that you've sort of lumped in on, not quite on that Hakeem Beeman track, but when he came in, you know, he got in late, but uh, was able to do some really nice things athletically and sort of maybe was a little bit further along than they thought he would be now because of the the, the log jam ahead of him, I really don't see how much he can realistically play, but he's done a nice job of turning heads and getting him in position where he needs to be going into his first year. And he's got an automatic red shirt waiting for him anyway. So, um, so you got that going for you with those, those four young guys. And, and it's a case where, and you also had Brandon Taylor, who's no longer with the team, but he could have eventually been a defensive tackle. The numbers are just huge. I mean, and I don't know if that's, you know, I know that James Franklin, too
0: huge. it may seem. Yeah, it might
2: (laughs) seem. And, and, And I don't know if James Franklin will recruit, uh, excuse me, over-recruit on the lines. I mean, he's going to have a tough time saying no to big bodies that can move. And, you know, a lot of schools have been very successful like that. But they've got a lot of guys, a lot of guys. We talk about those five. And then, you know, you're listing seven more guys here on scholarship. And, you know, Joseph Darqua, complete wild card. I, I don't see him really doing much this year in terms of his development. He's got a, you know, big, strong kid, a little bit older, but uh that, that learning curve is for real and we'll see where he goes with that. Devon Ellis, I'm really interested in seeing where he is coming off of his red shirt year. Of course, gets an extra red shirt year essentially. And you know, he, he might be that sixth guy right now. It's it's really hard to see. Aeneas Hawkins hasn't really. I don't. I'm not even sure if he's. I think he's played in one game, two games to his uh, to date this year. Um, I I don't really see him taking that big step this this uh, this fall. So there's a lot of mystery, and there's really no automatics or anything like that. And I think there's going to be some sort of. You talk about where attrition can come from. You got one spot where you play two guys at a time. With 12 scholarships, something's got to give there eventually. So it would be really interesting to see where this what this room looks like now and then what this room looks like in two years. And then, you know, you, you look at the recruiting, you don't need a defensive tackle because of the numbers, but you'd still like to get a guy like George Rooks and so a couple other guys that they're monitoring here. Um, so defensive tackle is always so important, but you sort of toe that line between how many is too many. And I think they're they're running right up to that line right now
0: the way this depth chart is constructed at the top and what you feel good about during the top and the lack of the non-conference games and, you know, maybe Rutgers, Maryland, some other opportunities across the season to to empty the bench a little bit and get longer looks. But I don't know how much more you're going to know about these guys, uh, you know, from our standpoint, I know John Scott's going to learn a lot about them and Brent Pry and James Franklin from what they see on the practice field day in, day out. But in terms of game tape and that kind of ability to evaluate what they look like in that setting, I don't know what you're going to learn about this group. And there's a lot of guys to learn about here in 2020. And, and oh, by the way, it, it, yeah, you're looking at some potential third-year freshmen as we've talked about. And, you know, I would imagine Antonio Shelton moves on his, with his career, although the eligibility clock doesn't necessarily demand it, although he is a senior. I think P.J. Mustafer with the strong campaign could be a guy that, that maybe uh, looks at an early NFL draft entrance. But uh, the numbers are going to be uh, pretty bloated in this room going into 2021. And I, I think you're right. I think if you're looking at maybe some, Transfer portal entrances. Uh, something's got to shake out in this room with the new coaching staff uh, in that in there, and uh, and we'll learn we'll learn a lot. But I don't think we'll learn quite as much uh, as as maybe people would have liked to if we had had a full slate of games, and that's just kind of the way the situation has dictated uh, here in 2020. I think that's uh, more than enough on the defensive line. Uh, we we the first time we kind of meshed together two positions, but that's kind of the time is of the essence, and and that's what we're we're gonna do with this position group all way. Uh, but it's time to turn the page, Sean. We're gonna get into some other conversation. Uh, new team talent composite rankings are out by 24/7 Sports. Just gonna touch on a few takeaways. What stood out there in Penn State and the Big Ten, really across college football. And we'll jump into our five-star mailbag. That's all right around the corner here on the podcast.
1: Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Well, 24-7 Sports, certainly well known for the recruiting coverage here, the recruiting rankings that we produce on an annual basis. But something that's been ongoing since 2015 uh, from 24-7 Sports is the composite team talent rankings. And and these are are quite interesting. They factor in uh, the transfer portal and and the the roster moves that take place there. And they factor in uh, the accrued uh, recruiting classes that that ultimately construct these rosters. And uh, some takeaways just off the top, Sean, there's for the first time, uh, a team not Alabama or Ohio State atop these team talent composite rankings. Georgia is actually the new number one uh, when we look at this. And, and you can look at these rankings in a couple of ways, as we'll get to in a moment. You can look at the overall composite score for a team's roster or you can look at the average player-by-player rating. Either way, uh, uh, Georgia is ahead out in front right now. They will play Alabama this weekend, and what a matchup that, that promises to be. Alabama directly behind Georgia, followed by Ohio State. Alabama's been number one for four of the first five years. Ohio State had the edge in 2018, and aside from that, for the last three years, it's been Ohio State, Alabama, one way or the other. Ohio State has a significant gap in the Big Ten right now, Sean. Um, they're they're ahead of Penn State and Michigan, uh, by, by a significant margin. They have a ninety-two point eight nine average among players. Um, Penn State is next at ninety point one five. Penn State has forty-eight blue chip prospects. Ohio State at sixty-six blue chip prospects. Um, now. That's what it is now, but but I think to get the full scheme of things, where James Franklin and this program have progressed since the the, the initial rankings uh, were revealed for 2015 in that class, in that season, uh, Penn State has really come a long way. Sean, uh, back in 2015, they were 21st overall, third in the Big Ten in composites ranking, player average. They were actually lower. They were 28th and fourth in the Big Ten behind Michigan State, Michigan. And Ohio State that year, they finished seven and six. Now the 2016 season, they were kind of basically right in that same area. Ended up winning a Big Ten championship, going to the Rose Bowl, winning 11 games. The big breakout year for this squad. Uh, But fast forward to where they are now, they actually have dipped a little bit from 2019. Sean and the composite score going from 857 to 850, but their player average is the highest it's been. Uh, under this formula with twenty four seven sports, they are at ninety point one five for player average last year. That was at eighty nine point eight, uh, which was the previous high mark for them. Just like last year, they're seventh in the nation in player average. Uh, they're thirteenth in the country in total composite score. I know I just threw a bunch of nerdy numbers your way, and, and you know I have a, a kind of breaking this down up on lines twenty four uh, seven. Hopefully, it'll be a bit easier to have it in front of you. It's up on the site right now, um, but. Penn State trending in a positive direction. Ohio State just holding court, though, in this conference and, and really just so entrenched with Georgia. Uh, Alabama, right now, in, in that top group. In fact, the only other team beyond those three that has a average player rating of over 91 is LSU, who's off to a one and two start after its
2: national championship run. Right. And you've got Texas in there. You got Florida State. You got some, some quality programs that are up near the top that uh, obviously aren't making the best of it. And that's all that's what it's all about is player development. When you get these guys on campus, Obviously, Penn State's numbers hurt without Micah Parsons. You you take a five-star out of there, it hurts the overall, it hurts the average, it hurts kind of everything. So you take Parsons out of there and, and then you take a step back from last year where you had guys... That were you know for all intents and purposes weighted for this drill is five stars and Justin Shorter and Ricky Slade. So you lose the five stars if you look at the top fifteen. You've only got one school that that just has one five star in the top fifteen, and that's Penn State. And I think that's and this the, is
0: composite five stars. So that's 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 crossing Curtis Jacobs, Lance Dixon off the list. I believe the only composite five star Brennan Smith. Brandon correct? Smith, yes. So yeah.
2: it's uh it, it's sort of weighted in that. But if you look at the next column, those forty seven four stars really stick out because they got you know even Oregon in front of. You with 33 Texas A&M with 38 USC with 33 and then you get back into the 40s. So I think it's a top 10 talent level team. It's just you lose Micah Parsons, you lose so much in in terms of this metric of ranking, and then you know you lose some of those other high, highly rated guys that haven't panned out. But I mean, you look at the top, and that's uh, that's really where it goes back to. You've got uh, I, I mean Georgia obviously. They want to do with more with what they have. They got the, it. Didn't hurt getting a five star transfer in in MJ Dan or excuse me. Yes. Uh, uh, uh. JT. JT. Sorry, MJ Daniels is uh, 2022, I think. But uh, JT Daniels uh, didn't hurt them at all. They've got 16 five-stars. Bama, of course, is always going to be up there. Ohio State, you're right, class of the Big Ten. I mean, in, in terms of talent and gathering talent, they just sort of reload and reload and reload. 14 uh, five-stars there, which I'm going to guess is more than the rest of the conference combined. Uh, it's pretty, pretty remarkable the run that they're on. And then, of course, Clemson is Probably going to move up in this. I mean, they keep taking these relatively small classes because they don't have a ton of attrition, but they just keep bringing in these five stars, especially in the class of 2020.
0: And isn't it wild? Georgia has brought in these these highly acclaimed quarterbacks from the from the transfer market, from signing them. They're started right now, Stetson Bennett, former walk on. Uh, so that's that's the guy who's going to be leading them uh, into Tuscaloosa this weekend. But but focusing in on the Big Ten here. Uh man you know some some things really stand out one is Minnesota's number 13 in, in these talent ratings they got a, a, an average of of 84.37 per player we all saw what they did last year. I, you know, they're, they're back in that top 25. I think they're number 24 right now. Um, Expectations are for them to, to maybe compete for that big 10 West title once again. Uh, And, and in the big 10 West on the, on the opposite end of the spectrum, a team that Penn state will play this fall, Nebraska, they're number four. They're situated directly behind Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan. And that, and that has been the, the top three with, with Penn state eventually overtaking Michigan the last two years. But, Nebraska is that next team waiting in the wings. They've got 22 blue chips, which it's it's a steep drop off when you get past the top three. Uh, Michigan has the 43 blue chips behind Penn State's 48 and Ohio State's 66. Next up is Nebraska, and they're the only other team in the Big Ten with more than 20 blue chips on that roster. But it feels like you know further reinforcing that Scott Frost year three. Uh, you know, uh, six and twelve. I believe his record is through two years in this conference um, against Big Ten opponents. We'll see them firsthand against the Nindy Lions feels like they're at a crossroads. They got to make it work with the coaching staff they have and the talent that they have at their disposal. I just, I just don't know where the excuses can come from for that
2: program in Lincoln. Uh, you know, I give them a little bit more time because if you look, actually look at the, at the breakdown, and I think there's only one senior that's a, uh, that's a four-star kid or a blue chip guy for them a lot. You know, there's a couple of juniors that, you know, have been ju- Juco guys, but, uh, I mean, they're young kids for the most part, and you know you got to develop them. You got to get them where they're going. And by the way, Noah Noah Pola Gates, a familiar name. He's uh, he's one of those freshman blue chippers for Nebraska. But yeah, they 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 got to get going somewhere, and that's. Uh, they wanted to play, so I guess we're going to see if they're uh, if those guys are ready to play.
0: Yeah, I'm not saying that Scott Frost uh, is on the uh, the hot seat this year, but but maybe just bowl eligible would be a step in the right direction because they have finished the last couple of years under 500, and and then up there in the top half. And I think this may be if you're just kind of uh you know kind of gl- taking a glimpse of of this one through 14, which ends with Rutgers and begins with Ohio State. Uh, Maryland in that top half at number six, uh, an eighty-six point four five average for their players. Uh, I mean, uh, kind of just you know, there's some they, they bring in a five-star Rakeem Jarrett. Uh, you know, they've had some nice in-state recruiting wins. They've got another one coming their way in twenty twenty one if they can hold on to Damian Robinson, but. The, just not has not as resulted in the on field success. And and ultimately, that win against Syracuse early last season, when Syracuse was considered a ranked team, turned into fool's gold very fast.
2: Well, it's never been really about recruiting with Mike Loxley. I mean, that's never been an issue. He's an elite recruiter. He's a guy that's gone out there and done very well at Maryland. And, you know, you mentioned Raheem Jarrett, Damian Robinson, those guys, and those numbers will go up in terms of stars and things like that. But it's about, you know, developing those guys and filling out that roster and getting, you know, wh- where they are across the board. So uh, while Maryland's numbers are going to be high, I don't think they're going to be very good this year. It's going to be really interesting to see which direction that sort of momentum goes. Because as, we, as we've as we said before, they're at their best when they're not playing. <laughs> and, I, and that sounds very cold-hearted, but that's just been the case in terms of what the the vision that they have to sell. Because eventually you keep going 6-40 and 40 or whatever it's it is, it's, it's going to, you know, it's going to turn bad. Another
0: team that Penn State seems to see every year these days, although it's a crossover matchup, Iowa at number ten, and that's kind of just their shtick. Like they're not going to go out recruit everybody, but they're going to bring in guys who who go get wins and perennially seem to be in that top twenty-five, competing for solid bowl appearances. Some years maybe a bigger uptick than others, but the one program here that that I think it, it is trending in the wrong direction, and it's not necessarily a surprise if you've seen the on-field. Uh, performances of late but Michigan State down to number seven back in 2015 they were actually ahead of Penn State in in the per player average and, and that was the same year they went to the college football playoffs and they got smoked in the semifinal matchup but Michigan State was in the college football playoff representing the Big Ten that year. Right now, uh, you know, they're number seven. I-, I don't know what Mel Tucker is going to do to really provide a boost in year one. It just feels like that has the project label, and, and considering that's here in the Big Ten East where you've got a- a Greg Sciano undertaking a, a major pro- project at Rutgers, Maryland, the, the jury's certainly out, and-, and now Penn State has surpassed Michigan on the recruiting trail and on the roster building when you look at these 24-7 uh, sports assessment. Uh, you know, that that's kind of big in the Big Ten East race to, to all of a sudden have Michigan State go from a team that's knocking on college football playoff contention to a, a program that, that's kind of gone awry in a lot of ways.
2: In a lot of ways is, is a good way to put it. That's kind of a smoldering fire right now. And Mel Tucker is going to have to step in there. And I have no idea how he's going to do it because it doesn't seem to be any immediate, uh, you know, guys that can make the big difference, especially in the Big Ten East. I mean, when you're talking about stepping into some spots or in in conferences around the country, it's one thing, but going to the big 10 East with Ohio state, Penn state and Michigan on the schedule every year. And then Indiana, you know, looks pretty decent, even though they're, they're at number 12 right here. Uh, I mean, that's all, that's a lot to ask for. And you know, you've got, uh, you got chances for wins, no doubt, but I mean, you look at, look look at what that job that he's got ahead of him is, is tough. I don't envy him. And I think they're going to be lower next year. They're number seven right now with 673. I think that's going to be lower next year.
0: I know these numbers are difficult to digest, and as you could tell from me stumbling over the decimal points, not the easiest to relay in a podcast form, but we do have a write-up up up on lines 24-7 right now, kind of breaking into what this uh, composite team talent rankings look like across the Big Ten, some takeaways, and, and just a look back at each of Penn State's results 2015 through 2020 and how they have developed uh, their personnel. Um, So check that out up on the site. We're going to shift gears and actually get another Michigan State mention in here because Rashawn Benny out of the state of Michigan has a final four out Kentucky, Michigan, Michigan State. Penn State, he's one of those remaining names to know that we've mentioned uh, in the 2021 recruiting class. And it's been a good one for, for Penn State in the state of Michigan this thus far. Rashawn Benny does have some relationships within this Nittany Lions class. Uh, Michigan viewed as the front runner, And now, you know, very quickly after this top four comes out, we've got a com- decision date out, October 25th. Literally, Benny putting this out during the podcast recording session. So uh, he's got a plan and, and he's down the final stretch all of a sudden.
2: Yeah. He's got that top four. Uh, I I really think it's an in-state battle right now. I think Michigan has been the leader for a long time. Maybe a little bit of doubt creeping in with that, but Michigan State has been working on him very hard. Um, You know, Oak Park's in a spot that that a couple of different schools, including Penn State, have gotten kids out of the last couple of years. But with with Penn State, with Rayshon Benny, they got him on campus very early and he seemed good. And he was one of those guys that, okay, I'm going to take an official visit when I can. Now that's not an opportunity, so it's going to be a tough sell to to get into this. I mean, October, what is it? Twelve days from now, October twenty fifth. That's going to be uh, that's not a that's not a great amount of time. And uh, he wants to play on the defensive line. Penn State's kind of opened up to that of late and said, okay, you know, we'll let you play on the defensive line if that's what you want. I don't know that's going to be enough to to overcome one of those in state schools. Uh, We'll keep an eye on that one. uh, All of a
0: sudden, set for next week. Again, October 25th is the uh, decision date for Benny uh, as he makes his pick, looking like he'll land in the Big Ten. Uh, Five star mailbag time, and and we've got a good one here. It kind of ties back into our earlier look at the defensive front. Uh, We'll get into it now. Uh, With Micah Parsons gone, who can we expect to lead the defense? Who do we expect to step up and be the game changer? And Sean, I'm going to point out, these were phrases, two different questions. They feel like two different questions because leading the defense doesn't necessarily mean leading the defense in the box score. Uh, The guy I continue to point to, Jesse Lucchetta at linebacker, I think he carries a lot of clout as a leader. Uh, He carried that within his recruiting class, hit the ground running in that role. Uh, Once he got to campus, I think he's going to be an important vocal point. Uh, I would probably say the same thing for a guy like Lamont Wade as well, Tariq Castro Fields at cornerback. Um, but again, there's a separation here, lead the defense, but also be the game changer in the defense because Micah Parsons, you know, if you had to point to a team leader, you were probably going to go down and run off quite a few names before you got to the best player on the team, which was Micah Parsons.
2: Yeah, that was the the wording that got me was with Micah Parsons gone, who's the leader. And I think Jan Johnson was the leader if you take a look back to last year. And, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with Micah not being in that role. But, you know, you, you look at – you you talk to the other linebackers and Jan was the really guy that sort of set the bar in terms of preparation and things like that. So I think losing Johnson is going to hurt in that aspect. And, of course, losing Micah is going to be, you know, something huge to overcome. Two guys we already talked about earlier in in the podcast. Shaka Tony, I think, is going to be the leader of that defensive line with Antonio Shelton, you know, providing some support. The second level is kind of interesting because, you know, you lose those three starters and all of a sudden you're looking for leaders. You mentioned Lucchetta, who's a very good vocal leader, but hasn't played as much football as you probably would like for a guy that's going to come out and you know, make the calls or get people in the right spot. So there's going to be questions about that. Um, I look to Lamont Wade, um, certainly he's played a decent amount of football and he's kind of sees everything out. There has been a vocal guy for them for a long, long time. And I think he's sort of coming to his own at that safety spot. Now, the second question could be completely different. I mean, you look at the, the guys that could step up and be the game changers. I look at two other defensive linemen. You look at, um, uh, Excuse me, Jason Oway and uh, Adisa Isaac, guys that can get off the ball, guys that can make those game-changing plays, make those step up on third downs, and be that guy. Linebacker, I think Brandon Smith has an opportunity to do that. Will he be able to get there and make up the, you know, I guess make the the progress that he needs to make to get to that level? I think he's the obviously the. Of those three starters, the highest ceiling amongst uh, the the talented linebackers that they have, but you know that still remains to be seen. And then I talked about Wade earlier, but I think Jaquan Brisker can be a game changer in the back four, and I've been a big fan of his for a long, long time. Have heard things, some things about the strides that he's trying to make, or you know the plays that. You know, he was just a little bit late on last year or just, you know, just a little bit out of position. If he can make some small corrections, I think his game can go a, a long, long way. And he can be one of those guys that can, can change ballgames for Penn State.
0: It's it's pretty obvious to look toward that defensive end spot with O.A. and Isaac. And you're talking about game changers, game disruptors. There's not much more than a defense can do than to rattle a quarterback and, and, and get get keep stay in his ear all game and, and have him start to hear those footsteps. And those guys have that ability. We'll t- see if they take the step forward. But a guy that I can't shake out of my head with this question is Marquise Wilson. And it, it wasn't the most extensive sample size as a freshman last year, but five forced turnovers, uh, three fumbles and, and two interceptions had a huge one that that sealed the deal down in Dallas in that cotton bowl. And uh, he's not a surefire bet to start. And we've talked a lot about that group at cornerback. We're going to get into defensive backs in our, in our state of the position series before the season starts. But, Man, I mean, whether it's uh, you know Keaton Ellis or, or or Joey Porter or Marquise Wilson, but for some reason I uh, hear game changer. Marquise Wilson comes into my head quite a bit here. I'm with you on Brandon Smith, and and, and going back to the leadership standpoint, it's one thing for Luceda to be that guy off the field and on the sideline and and in the weight room and, and all that stuff that he's been. But yeah, can you do it when when the game's moving all around you and 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 you're kind of you know and you have those responsibilities, play after play after play? Can you be that on field leader? It's a different ball game, and we'll get to learn a lot about about Jesse Lucchetta. One name I will circle back to again and I think could, could answer both of these is P.J. Mustapher. I said before, I feel like he has that innate leadership quality um, you know, dating back to his days of the high school, just an advanced level of maturity, accountability, um, and he matches it up with, with with exceptional ability at defensive tackle as an athlete. And again, th- there's a reason that he was viewed in a different light than a lot of these guys in that room in terms of his prowess as a prospect. I think maybe you know he, he could be a guy who, who you combine these two answers and you come up with a P.J. Mustaver because if he can be at force in the interior – That might give Penn State a different kind of wrecking ball than they've had inside, at least since i started covering the program.
2: Oh, no doubt about it. And I think Mustapher's sort of on that precipice. But when you talk about how much of an impact you can have in that defensive tackle spot, and I know Penn State's had some really, really good ones, even in the last 15 years. Uh, but it's been, uh, I'm just, I, I feel that there's probably more production coming from the ends than the tackles. Sure. So that's why I would go that way. I think it's going to be interesting to see if they do something where they line up. You know, last year they did the three man front where they moved Gross Matos inside and made a pass rush uh, with Owe and Tony in the outside. Do you just fill in Adisa Isaac to that role and play him on the inside? We will see. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of questions that we can't answer right now. I wish we could, um, but it's so uh, we
0: give you a ton of names, and that's yeah. our response. Well, that's, that's, that's the, that's the that's fun the part about this defense. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just name
2: everybody, and then we can't be wrong. So hopefully, that's hopefully that's the case. Now one of these corner, one of these young corners is going to pop up and, and make us look stupid for not mentioning them. But uh, no, it's uh, it's. I think it's a talented defense that needs experience. So again, I'll go back to you don't start the season against uh against the best teams for that, but you know, the, the, we're here, we're we're talking football, we're playing football. So we'll be we'll be happy to see answers, even if it's not the answers we're given right now.
0: It's a defense that replaces this entire starting linebacker unit, half of its defensive front and half of its defensive backfield. So certainly a lot of room for guys to step up and lead, step up and be those game changers. We gave you a lot and we'll see what sticks. Um, we'll continue to get into our five-star mailbag next episode. I see a couple good ones that we're considering make that decision harder for us. Go to Apple podcasts, leave your five-star rating and review, get your question on there. Um, seasons right around the corner, Sean, uh, behind the scenes, this has taken a while to record this episode. I know that we're both probably anxious to move on with our lives. Anything else to add before we put a bow on this one?
2: I don't know. It feels like we've been recording for about three hours. It's uh, <laughs> it it's a lazy. It was a lazy Tuesday. It feels like we're playing in a stadium with no fans. We're trying to bring our own juice, and it's uh, maybe it's worked. Maybe it's not. I don't know.
0: Well, we hope so, and and we thank you all for listening. Uh, Stay informed on lines247.com. A bunch of content coming your way there. We will have James Franklin after practice on Wednesday as that post-practice availability is now a staple of our weekly approach. Tim Banks, safeties coach, also going to be joining in the conversation there. And then next week... It's full-throttle game week, press conferences, player availabilities, assistant coaches, the whole the whole deal. And then it's a, it's a Saturday with football. So we're looking forward to that. we got one more episode working on getting you a special guest. Hopefully that comes through for Friday. In the meantime, wishing you all well. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.